0: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart.
1: Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game.
0: Welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Dave Murphy, columnist with the Philadelphia Daily News, joined here by Mike Sealski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Yo, yo, yiggity, yo. Yeah, yeah. I'm, right. I'm not even trying. that. Mike is a middle-aged white man. I don't know if you can I'm just go. reaffirming <laughs> that. You're actually you're not middle-aged. What Thank do, you. What are you?
2: I'm 40. I'm a man. <laughs> I'm 40.
0: And Jonathan Tannenwald.
1: I'm not even trying. So go
0: again. We're gonna talk about Sam Hankey today. I just went on a pre-show rant about stuff that I can't really talk about, and even if I could, I could not use the language that I was using. But I will say this: I think that Sam Hankey got run out of town, and I don't know that it is necessarily fair, regardless of how. You feel about the process?
2: Um, I would tend to agree with that for the most part. I think, you know, this is something we both wrote about last week when it happened, this idea that um, there's a few things at work here. Uh, Number one is what I think um, an unwillingness on certain people's part, both in the public and in the media, to take the time to understand what he was doing. They just heard tanking and they saw three years of bad records, and they said, "This must not be working. This is a mess. Whatever it is."
0: Well, yeah, but and and,
2: and didn't weren't willing to go beyond. My that. problem
0: is that it started from it did it, it didn't take three years. It, it started from right. the, it Started from year right. one when the first the first the first draft when the guy didn't come out, which was, to me the most interesting part of his resignation letter slash manifesto slash mic drop. Slash he just needs an editor next time like yeah. that's all that the only thing that was wrong with that thing is he needs an editor I mean, he's like he was like any You know high school research paper kind of kid trying to like show off like oh here's people, all my citations I, but, it, but I think I, I thought here, the content itself it I, just I needed to be you. a little Look, streamlined let like, me just Sam, say, if you're out there send it to me next time yeah. I'll clean it up a little bit and people won't be making funny let,
2: let me ask people in upper echelons of corporations and businesses send memos all the Fine. time That's how they communicate this, this idea of, like, you know, he should have looked Jerry Colangelo or Josh Harris in the eye. and the, People do this all the time. People get fired by memo all the time.
0: We could probably spend an entire episode just, like, I would love to do, like, a textual analysis of the Sam Hinkey memo. And, and it would just be fascinating to kind of, because to me, the most interesting part, as I've begun to say, and as I am want to do drifted off into Never Never Land, my, my verbal Never Never Land. Uh, you let us know the, when the you most, come back. The moment. most interesting part, and here we are, back to the beginning. The most interesting part was the reference to the draft night press conference. Right. When I don't know if you were on Twitter that night, but if Twitter could have tears, it would have been the tears of the Philadelphia media whining about Sam Hinkie not coming out to talk about his draft picks until one, like one, in, the one in the morning or something like that, which is hang on for one second, which is Jonathan. I, I've got Jonathan trade to the point where he raises his hand <laughs> before he speaks. <laughs> so that's what just happened there. Um, you know and, and hinky and this was just like this was when it started this was when like tanking became tanking and scam sam hinky became scam hinky and this was his first draft when he took i think noel and and michael carter williams yeah, whatever when it was he traded drew holiday yes and and hinky referenced it and obviously knew this was a point of contention in the media and he referenced it in his memo and he and he, he kind of walked through what he had been doing that entire night and he kind of like subtly blamed the media for him not getting to like sign an undrafted free agent cuz he had been on the phone like, he
2: blamed them basically that he couldn't for not being able to sign Robert Covington right. that night.
0: Right. They said so so Sam, the whole time the media was like, Oh, Sam's just like being a jerk, a big jerk and like sitting in behind like one way mirror, like laughing at us, waiting for him. He was actually on the saying he was on the phones, working the phones, getting on the phones with of free agents, trying to right. put his roster together. And he's essentially saying like, look, I'm not going to interrupt my job for the media. You know, like I'm not being a jerk, but I'm doing my job and right. I can't talk to them about my job until I do it first. And, and he spent like a solid half page of that of that memo Talking about this, and and I thought that was interesting, and I thought that was instructive because I thought I that when I had in my mind, you know, the real hinky snowball when it started running down running downhill, that was the moment because like I I might have been at a Phillies game or something, but just to like read 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 the media, you know, talking about yeah, it. I, I,
2: you know, the interesting thing to me is I think we're
0: and pain- again it is annoying when yeah. you when you don't get to talk to people, but 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 the, you can't allow that to like bleed into your to, you can't decide right. that night. well, I, I screw don't this care. Guy.
1: I don't care whether whether the GM talks to me. It's nice. It helps us do our jobs, that's for sure. But the argument that I have seen advanced by quite a few people in the local media over the last couple of days, including, I will admit, a couple of people in this building, I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say, well, they're not is, in this that, is that the the caliber of how you communicate with as a general manager to the media is the referendum on how you are as a general manager, as the operator of your basketball team. I've seen it written more than once that because Brian Colangelo said more things, he's going to be a better GM, and never mind the fact that his father installed him in this sort of palace coup <laughs> yeah. thing that has a whole lot of people who, not even all the Hinky fans, uh, not all the more Hinky fans, has a whole lot of people annoyed at how the Sixers have done this. Yeah. This notion that because Brian Colangelo is a better talker means that he's going to be a better general manager, I can't stand it. All right, well, well all right, let's, hold, let's, on, let's, hold let's,
0: on. Before we get into that, let's, let's wait. And let's first, let let's just to get this out, because there's a big elephant in the room, and it's, and it's tough. Because I work, you know, we work with some of these, some of the people that, that I disagree with. But you know what? We're paid to have opinions. We pay. We're paid to criticize people. And if we can't take criticism of each other, then whatever. Like we shouldn't be doing our jobs. So like, n- none of this is like personal. Right. I just fundamentally disagree with some of my colleagues on pretty much everything that's gone down since <laughs> since Sam Hickey arrived. Well, I, here, and I don't think that's necessary. I could, I could, I could, I could not agree with the process itself and still still not agree with the way. I you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I just think that like I think it, we've seen some of that too. I think people decided very early on whether this thing would wor- and 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 I'm I just don't know that the guy was ever afforded a fair shot, you know, in this city.
2: I, all right, a couple things are at work here, I I think. Number one, I do think there is a strain among all of us who cover Philadelphia sports, radio, TV, print internet whatever you want to call it there are some of us who have a go along to get along sort of mentality where all we want is for the person we are covering to treat us like a human being and say the thing that we need him or her to say at the time we need him or her to say it and we're okay with that and if they're not the greatest person in their job they're failing there's it, that doesn't matter hey Ruben Amaro's out there he's talking to us he's taking the bullets and it doesn't matter that the Phillies are terrible good for Ruben he's talking to us there's another aspect to this which is like should you evaluate the individual irrespective of whether the person talks to you you know we've mm. i've heard this being around the flyers that you know the people who cover the flyers are not accustomed to having a head coach like Dave Hackstall who doesn't say anything And I've written this in the past, and I will continue to say it.
0: And he, like, aggressively doesn't say it.
2: Right. He aggressively doesn't say it. But that in and of itself does not make him a bad coach. If if words to the media were an indication of character, then Pete Rose would be the most admired man in baseball history because he always gave baseball writers exactly what they wanted all the time. Which...
0: Which is which is why I always wonder about about these these hagiographies that that have been written about these baseball players of years past. Is that how you pronounce right. that? Hagiography. I, yeah. I need to get I need to get Breen back in. I need to have the, <laughs> the, the Matt the Matt Breen yeah. word pronunciation word pronunciation of the day. The I'm going to call them hagiographies just because mm-hmm. that's where that's how I started. Uh, of these like 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 all of the essentially baseball player the, the legend of baseball might have been completely complete BS based on. Who 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 happened to talk to people or not? Right. You know, like you look at all these old timers who have these good stats that didn't get in the game, and it's like, oh, he was probably a jerk to the media. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like like back in the day, the whole the whole thing operated like this. You right. Know what I'm we hear, we
1: hear yeah. this with the Hall of Fame voting all the time. That's this guy's right. not getting in, even though he was a great hitter or whatever, because he didn't talk to the media. Enough. Right. But so,
0: but so, so so I agree with you. There is this get along to go along thing. And, and frankly, to be honest with you, like the guy and. and I do respect guys more who are professionals. Like, yes. like Roy is a professional. Yeah. You know, like Bradley's a professional. I think that it says something about you how you treat people. I think treating I think the the media is a lot like waiters and waitresses, like service industry people that's fair. where that's fair. how you treat them kinda says a little right. bit I'm about not, you. Yeah,
2: and I'm not suggesting that. No, I know, but you but, know, but, that, but but what's what not necessarily communication of our,
0: the problem is some of our colleagues, I think going back even and we saw this 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 transcends sports like this goes to like judith miller too yeah like some people in the press like like to be feel like they're part of the establishment you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. they like to like they don't like to be made to feel like they're just a waiter you know they don't like to they they like to feel like they're a big because you know they like to be able to tell Mm -hmm. people like ah you know gm of the sixers bought me a drink the other night at the bar you know like stuff like that and i think that i think that I think there's a most of the beat raters, I think is the go along to get along part, hmm. but I think there's some people on the the outside. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the
2: yeah. I mean, I also think there's something to be said for a certain way you do your job as a as a media member and what your role is. Look, um, you know, there are going to be TV people, for instance, who are going to show up at a press conference or a media availability or come to the locker room and stick a mic in an athlete or a coach's face and ask the obligatory "How do you feel?" question. Right in part because that's their job. That's what ex- is expected out of them, out of the place where they work. Because right. they, de- they have five seconds. They have five, of- five right. seconds. This is what they got to get, okay? But I also, and I understand that, but I also think there is something to be said for, you know, coming at this from, the, from, the, from an outsider's perspective in how you go about the job. And you don't necessarily need a coach or a player in a locker room or a general manager to come out and spoon feed you comments so that you can file 400 to 600 words you can make additional phone calls you can do additional research you can try to look at something in a different perspective we don't have to write or broadcast or comment on everything in the way we've always done it and one of the things i think honestly i'm proud of that we a do in this podcast and that murph and i i think try to do in our writing and this is going to sound like i'm Patness on the back, and maybe I am in a little bit of way, in a bit of a way, but I think we genuinely try not to do that. Like, here's here's a different way of looking at things, or here's somebody who you haven't heard from who has this perspective on this topic, and those sorts of things are valuable too, and they allow you to work around somebody like a Sam Hankey, who may not, A, may not want to talk to you, or B... Maybe he doesn't want to talk to you because you haven't worked hard enough to try to get him to talk to you. Right? You know, have you, have you badgered him? Have you called him? Have you tried to pick his brain to figure out what's going on? And if you've done that and then you want to criticize him, fine.
0: Which is why I think, and frankly, I think that, uh, like, like I think to, to be, specific, to be quite clearly, like, I, I think both of our beat writers do a very good job and yes. they, they, I don't think I'm not referring to them. Um, uh, you know i think i think what you say applies to more people who are trying to get sound bites and, yeah. and yada 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 i think this is where i almost disagree with the notion that it's a path of least resistance thing and it's more of like the think the people i think who had the most visceral reaction against quote unquote the process, process. and sam hinkey were people who felt like sam hinkey felt he was smarter than them Yes, like I heard, I've heard that a lot from people. Yes. like oh, which, this guy's not as smart as he thinks. Which, he is. which, well, is, why do you care? Like, why does it? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, what? It, it, it,
2: and that to me did not compute with, 13 page manifesto. Right. Like, arrogance to me would have been Sam Hankey writing right. t- a two sentence email to Jerry Colangelo and Josh Harris saying, "I resign. Goodbye." Right. 13 pages suggests I'm gonna just. I need to justify why I did what I did.
0: Yeah, like I. Look, you know. here's my thing like I I think that and and it's what's kind of frustrated me with with some of people who I respect that their their view of point on on Sam in general like I just didn't get what they got from him like I I got that this guy had his way to do things he realized that information was power right and he wasn't gonna give away information but but every time he spoke with the media he was eloquent respectful you know funny at times I and then you know, like everything he did, he did everything that he said he was going to do. Like it, like he laid out right. on his first day everything that he was going to do. He did all of it probably better than in terms of what his actual goal was. He, be- he did it better than anybody could have expected. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet the, the antipathy for him just kept on growing and growing and growing. And I just kept on hearing, this guy's not as smart as you think he is, blah, 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 blah. Well, like. He's never given the impression, necessarily, that, that that he's sitting up there like, oh, look at these dolts, you know? like He's just doing his job, and like, like the way he's doing his job, for some reason, is offending you. And I don't know why, because you don't really have a vested interest in, in what he's doing. You're just covering it.
2: I'll give you uh, two examples, kind of side-by-side, side of of arrogance, quote-unquote, as, as we're talking about it right now, okay? Ed Snyder died on Monday morning, and one of the things that Ed Snyder was famous for was getting his back up in public if you questioned the Flyers' method of doing things. Mm. You know, dozens of of media members... You never did that in your life, Dozens of media members have had it happen over time. And it was always construed as Ed Snyder wants to win and cares about winning. It was never presented like, hey, he's a really arrogant guy who thinks that his franchise... The sun rises and sets on his franchise and the way he's doing it. And it doesn't matter if you have a point. He's going to come back at you in public. Okay, so that's one. There was a press conference last year.
0: So you're saying Ed, Ed Snyder was Eric? Uh, absolutely, okay. it was. I don't think anybody would deny right. that.
2: You have to to get in the position he had and to have the the fortune and the power. He had. Okay. You have to be.
0: And so, yeah, like Sam Hinkie never came across that way. Well,
2: that gets to my second example. There was a press conference last year, I believe, after the Sixers had traded Michael Carter Williams, in which Hinkie was asked a question about the collective bargaining agreement and the draft and the idea that players, the, the the person asking the question wondered aloud whether Hinky's plan for collecting all these picks would work because under the new collective bargaining agreement, um, there wouldn't be as much money for picks who were coming out to get in the draft. So, so guys who the Sixers had planned to draft might stay in college longer, okay? You know, Ben Simmons might stay an extra year because... The new collective bargaining agreement's coming up, and they're going to get more money by staying in, right. in school. The entire premise of the question was wrong. Okay, that was not hap- that's not happening in the new right. collective bargaining agreement. Draft picks had nothing to gain by either staying in or coming out early. the The, the salary structure was staying the same. Hinkey knew that. He could have embarrassed the media member who asked that question, and he didn't. All he said was, "We've pl- we've planned for every possible uh, scenario." We've planned for every possible scenario, and that's all I'll do with that with that question. He could have embarrassed the media member. He could have gone after him, and he didn't. And I actually asked him about it afterwards. I like, said, why didn't you go after that guy? And his answer to me in private, and I'm not going to betray any confidence by saying this, was, I don't like to come off as intellectually arrogant. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, it's it's I'm, I'm not going to bully somebody in public for the sake of bullying somebody in public just to show I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah.
0: I'm uh, there's there's a lot of wild machinations going on here behind the scene cuz Mike Silsky is popping his peas and I don't know why. You probably you might be able to hear it. Like I'm not doing it. Puh, puh, puh. Do you know that means? It's you know, a, it's, a, it's I, an audio thing. It's a thing.
1: skill in radio that I that I that I drilled out of but my You myself. never do
0: it, you never do it before. It's nothing it's not an audio thing or, No,
1: it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a method thing that you get taught if you work in radio long no, enough. I'm I have sorry. I have no it's fine. I I have this thought. Um that some of the people who will, behind the scenes, but never, of course, by putting their name on the record, talk to you and I and the three of us and the beat writers and everybody else who work within these organizations who are looking at Sam Hinkie and seeing uh, different ways of doing things. They are, uh, Dave, as you called them in your, your column about the overthrow of Hinky, the pearl-clutching basketball establishment, mm-hmm. uh, they saw Sam Hinkie as a threat to their livelihoods, thank you very much, and so they sort of wanted him out of the way, which leads me to this thought, and this is something that I said— during at the moment Hinky was fired, resigned. that night, resigned, was pushed out the window. Whatever the hell it was.
0: Well, I don't think he was murdered.
1: He wasn't murdered. <laughs> no, thankfully, that would be terrible. He did uh, not. Defense,
0: by the way, defense straight. Is that like the word that like leads you up to like. Like oh man, this has got to be a great word to describe something really gross. And then like <laughs> oh, defenestrate, like it's like oh man, he defenestrated himself. I'm like oh, I hope he, I hope he was wearing underwear, <laughs> you know, like um, like what like what is the def- I, I did just you let re- Jonathan make his, but he he mentioned throwing out the window, which is yeah. why I just learned no like,
1: defenestrate is the right word. I, for when I know, next,
0: which yes. is what uh, the reason I brought it up because I learned this. Like a week ago, because somebody, us no, somebody used the word. I was the teach Somebody used the word defenestrate in a column, and I, and I was like immediately. I'm like, I was like, I gotta go. To, I'm gonna go to Urban Dictionary for this stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm like defenestrate. Oh man, what is that? What is that? And I Googled it, and it's just throwing oneself out a window. Yeah, right. like that's 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 a very. Why do we need a big word for that? Oh, like, that, why God. do we have a big need a big nefarious sounding multi word? for throwing oneself out the window. The Fenestrate should be that, reserved that, that for like That question that you just like, asked is
1: arguably one of the grandest traditions in daily news history. Why do we need a big word when punching somebody in the face will do? Um, here, here's my question. Like the Fenestrate, what, uh, what should that mean? I, let's, I, let's ponder that for the rest I, of the I, podcast. I, let's not. You tried to get in my brain last week, <laughs> and I fended you off only barely. I'm not going to let you do it again okay. this week. Here's my theory about Sam Hinkey and it's something that I put forth The night he resigned, and again, during that um, farce, I will call it, of a press conference with the Colangelo's and Josh Harris and so forth, because I really do think it was a farce.
0: Um, It is is better. Stop, 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 stop there. I don't think – so here's my problem. Like, I don't think Brian Colangelo is necessarily a bad choice for this organization. Like, I I don't know him real well, but I will say this. He's got to be better than Billy King and Ed Stefanski. I hope so. It's um, a low bar to clear. And frankly, and frankly, the fact that he's not like, he didn't go to like Archbishop Carroll and like, you know, yeah. sit on the bench. Like, I, I respect that. He went to Cornell. He's got an economics degree. He he, he has put the Raptors in a position to be, why am I echoing ac- ac- all of a sudden? It's my microphone. Okay. Well, let, Although, let, me, finish, let, yeah. let me finish my point real yeah. quick. Uh, since you brought it up, I just want to, before we... Before we you're often off into where you're going I don't think I don't think it was necessarily a force of a press conference I think that you know I think it was a force of a dis, it was a gutless decision to do what they did to Sam Hankey, but I think that like you can't argue necessarily with Brian Colangelo as a choice I mean the Toronto Raptors are doing very well this year and they're doing very well because of moves that he made namely trading for Kyle Lowry and drafting DeMar, De, uh, DeMar DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan. I, can, I can never say his I can never say his name uh, but Demar De, Demar Derozan, so so he ha- and he has, if you look back, drafted quite well for you know Ar- Andrea Bargianini. Bargianini. Bargianini, Bargiani. Bargnani Bargiani. who was, still, it was his number one pick who still yeah. went on actually to have a better career than Greg Oden or you, you know what I'm saying but yeah. but I mean that was his one and, and trading for Rudy Gay was a, a, another one that they throw at him but by and large he, he clearly you know there's a reason why he, it, this has not been complete salesmanship on on the right. Colangelo's part like right. they do have. There, I can understand he's a why competent basketball right, I can understand why and, yes. and I'm not going to hold it against him that he's real polished and handsome and wears nice suits and stuff like that uh, but like anyway that's just what I wanted to say I, I don't there, there's this is not a these are not mutually exclusive things thinking that Sam Hinkie, you know they made a mistake in doing it's what the, you they know did what it is it's the bringing, same
2: thing with the Eagles and Doug Peterson and Chip Kelly and Doug right, Peterson exactly they, they mishandled the Chip Kelly thing right. that doesn't mean Doug Peterson is necessarily a bad exactly. coach
1: so anyway go on a couple of things. One of which is, I think it. Let's take them one at a time. A, I think it took Colangelo leaving and Masai Ujiri coming in for the Raptors to really reach the potential Eastern Conference Championship contending level that they're at now. The other is. Well, it also took
0: Kyle Lowry staying healthy. Sure. But the. the this but, I mean, is that's what a I've, good move. Trading a first round pick for Kyle Lowry, who did not have any. any serious resume built for himself in Houston. That, that was a good move on, on, on. And it, it's Klanzo's a part.
1: great credit to the Raptors that Lowry, who of course is from here and everybody knows who he is, that the Raptors
0: were the organization. Your mic, your mic is really hot too.
1: Your, the, the Raptors were the organization that got him to grow up. Finally, it took a while, uh, but he's done it now and he's a legitimate all-star and he's, he has talked openly about how he's matured in his time in Toronto and so on and so forth. This is my point about Hinckley.
0: We'll, we'll, while we're on it, here, one more. It, one more to, this, is one t- this is why we take him one at a time. I'll get there eventually. This is why we take him one at a time. But the other thing, conversely, to remember about Brian Colangelo is that he only traded for Kyle Lowry after, after he, tried to he sign attempted to Steve sign Nash. Steve Nash. Now, the farcical thing about much of what... A guy like Brian Colangelo, like 50% of what comes out of his mouth is going to be pure unadulterated BS because that's just how... Good politicians are. And to you your know? point about hey.
1: Steve Nash, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment doesn't side Steve Nash just because he's a good point guard.
0: W- wait, what?
2: He's Canadian. They're saying they we went after they were going to overpay for Steve Nash.
0: Well, whatever, cause that's cause stupid he's Canadian. too. Uh, Canadians, everyone knows Canadians are awful. Uh, just kidding. Um, <laughs> they want they that fan base wanted them though. No, I mean they they, they signed they went after Steve Nash because Brian Colangelo, Steve Nash made Brian Colangelo's reputation in Phoenix. And they needed a point guard and the rain. I mean, it's not the Lakers. It's not, I mean, he wasn't from LA and the Lakers went out and gave him a three year, $28 million. The Lakers
1: are a basket case. Anyway, go ahead. But my point,
0: my point is whatever we're not, this is not a Toronto Raptors podcast. This is not, this is not, what would be, what would a Toronto Raptors podcast be called? I don't Um, know. Whatever. Punching with short arms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, it was it was it was a good deal ultimately, but he. My, my original point was it was only a good deal after he had attempted to give an absurd contract to a player who would not have helped that team. And right. then, if think think about what would have happened to that team, if Steve Nash had signed yes. him, they would be exactly where the Sixers are trying to avoid. So so, actually, this is an interesting conversation. Not to you know put your keep keep your thing on the on the back burner, but what does this tell us about Brian Colangelo? Does it tell us that he's a guy who? You know, as he would clearly like to be branded the guy who who acquired Kyle Lowry, which again was a very good deal. You know, in and of itself, but
2: it was only a good it was deal, only a good after, deal. He,
0: after he had attempted
2: a re- an awful deal, an awful deal, fall with through. Steve Nash. And you
0: know, I guess we could give him the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, whatever Gary Trudeau or whoever the prime minister I just, of is. I just I know enough says, I know Steve enough Nash.
1: about that organization well, I mean, between so, 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 the Raptors, the Leafs, and all the other teams they run to know that they might have had some influence over his head in trying to do that, and I'll be interested to see being in Philadelphia and not having any of that on his shoulders, whether he may well be a better GM than some of the skeptics think he will be.
0: Well, all right, but so that doesn't get to my question. My question is, can we divorce those two moves? You know, like, would Sam Hinkie have traded for Kyle Lowry? Would yes, Sam I think Hin- we can. Would Sam Hinkie have tried to sign Steve Nash? Because the Steve Nash deal is exactly what you want the Sixers to avoid, correct? The reasons yes. I just said, I think you can.
2: I, I don't know... Whether Hincky would have made those two trades and the only way or made those two moves. And the only way we were ever going to find out is if he was if he had still been the GM after this offseason, right? Because this offseason was so pivotal, is so pivotal to what the Sixers are trying to do. They're going to have what three or four first round picks. We don't know where they're picking yet. They have Embiid coming back, presumably. They have Dario Saric coming over, theoretically. So the offseason was going to determine. Everything moving forward. I can tell you from discussions with Hinky that, based on just what he said, that he held Oklahoma City up as a model. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody references the Spurs, rightfully so. Everybody references the Rockets because of Hinky's background, rightfully so. But Hinky would also bring up the Oklahoma City Thunder because... That team went from having 19 or 20 wins in Kevin Durant's first season to having 50 wins two seasons later, with only two guys who were still on the roster from the 20-win team, Durant being one of them. Within two years, they had turned, they had turned over 85% well, of the who roster. Who the other, out oh, of no, curiosity? No, no,
0: Harden. Harden was there. Harden was not there.
2: They got Harden. It, it was, it, they had Durant when they won 19 or 20. Right. Two years later, they had won fifty. By right. then,
0: Westbrook and Harden were on the team. Right, but then, so then my counter to to, to would be: Would you trade James Harden to the Rockets? Because that was a. I mean, one one would one could argue.
2: No, but my point is his only point. My only point with that is that you can take great leaps. Okay, I got you. Okay, but not about the trade. So so you. my so my point is the only way we were going to find out if Hinkie actually believed that, if he was willing to take the great leap. Was once everything kind of settled, and he had an idea, and the Sixers had an idea of what they really had in all these guys—Okafor, Noel, Embiid, et cetera.
0: and that—that's what really bothers me about this whole thing. And and like I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest to divorce or or separate my thoughts on Hinkie with my thoughts on Colangelo moving forward, like in terms of how mm-hmm. I will, because like like it or not, he's the GM now, right, and. Right. He should be evaluated on his own merits it, it, It's really counterproductive to to compare everything he does to what Sam Hinkey would have done, you know right. like it, but it is frustrating because and I, and I wrote this, no matter what he does, it's going to look smart, I feel like, or, or it's not going to look dumb because if it does end up being dumb, it's going to be hinckey's fault, and if it ends up and, and the biggest thing that frustrates me is as Mike said, and to me and I've said this going back to when they hired Colangelo and I didn't even, and I didn't, and everyone's saying, oh, well, Hinky's on his way out and I didn't buy it because it didn't make sense to me. you know why they went to show Hinky the door right away. And everyone's like, oh, well now, now the process is going to finally get into gear. And and I said, the process was always going to get into gear this year. Like it had, and it was self-evident. Like, like there's no other, there was no other choice as, as Brian Colangelo accurately said but again it was self-evident like that's the thing about politicians they have they have a way of making self-evident truths sound like prosaic to the common mm. man whereas okay. like this is going to be a summer of drastic change well of course it is it has to be like you can't just collect developing players of course you can't because you at some point you need to start building an actual team like right. that which is why it frustrated me that S- Sam Hickey was kind of Boxed in and, and framed as this guy who just wanted to lose in perpetuity because he liked to like swim through his draft picks like Donald Duck and yeah. Scrooge McDuck and DuckTales. <laughs> you know, like it, that at some point he was going there's a reason why he called them assets. At some point he was going to start trading them for an actual roster. Right. That just happened to take one year longer because they were forced into taking a guy with a bum foot.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. And and to get back to one of the points you made just a minute ago, it's it's there's two sides of the same coin when you evaluate the Sixers moving forward. Uh, you know, your point is accurate that Hinckley's, you know, going if, to, if the Sixers uh, get better immediately through what Colangelo does, then there's an argument that, oh, okay, well, Colangelo is doing what Hinky couldn't do. Right. And if they don't move forward, then it's, oh, well, Hinckley really left things in a mess, not even Brian right. Colangelo and the Colangelo's could exactly. fix them. The flip side of that, though, and I heard, and one of my colleagues expressed this yesterday was, well, Hinky's really smart. If they if they advance forward based on what Colangelo does, then he can take the credit for having built the foundation that allowed Colangelo to do it. And if they don't move forward with based on what Colangelo does, then they didn't stick to the process. And, you know, they should have kept right. Sam in the job.
0: See, I think Colangelo knows. And this is, I mean, he's, like, is smart, too. He's just smart in a different way. Right. You know, he's, he's, he's craftier a little bit yeah. you know he's, he's yeah. more of like a macro organizational guy where hinky is like very much like a you know bottom up type builder mm-hmm. and uh what colangelo knows is that at any point in time the sixers can turn this current roster into an eight or seven seed exactly in the conference exactly He know like he knows unless unless something unless like a, the bus crashes and and like you're forced to start tj mcconnell and covington right. and all these guys like you can trade. You, you can trade. Noel, you can trade Okafor. You can tomorrow trade you your can picks. Trade, anything. You just, tomorrow you could trade Jaleel Okafor for, for, I don't know, like a Ty Lawson type, you know, or or I mean,
2: somebody better than that. You well, yeah, get, you but I, get, I mean, it. but
0: I'm saying like like Ty Lawson at his. Do you know what I'm yes, saying? Like yeah. like a, say Kyle Lowry. Like you yeah. could, you could trade. Julia Okafor for, for uh, you know a Kyle Lowry when when the when right. the Raptors traded for him you can, you can get trade,
2: a, you can get a decent point guard anytime you, you want
0: you can it. trade that number for, if you know say they end up with the, like whatever the number thirteen pick you know you can get you can trade that for right there's the, at any point in time they can do that mm-hmm. it's not that as we've seen I mean the Sixers did it uh, in, in, Ed Stefanski did it it can't be that hard you know yeah. I mean he he what were they the year before I mean they had the number two pick in the draft and then two years later. Evan Turner, Jeru Holiday, Spencer Hawes, and, like, the traveling mediocrities ended up going to the Easter Conference semifinals. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I've been wanting to get at this whole time. Okay. See, see how Which it, is, kind of yeah. it all
1: comes together. Which is, you talked about at any time the Sixers could be the eight or the 7th seed because the East is so bad. That's what the NBA wants. That's right. It is better in the NBA if you are quiet. To the, to the NBA. Not it, in the to, NBA. Right. To it the is NBA. better to the NBA for the NBA, which we know have put Jerry Colangelo in charge. the yes. logo. Who then, as Adrian Wojnarowski and various and Keith Pompey and various other people on the night that Hinkie resigned, started airing all the dirty laundry about how Our, as, your, your mic is still really as loud. soon as Jerry Colangelo came in. Um, no, I mean there I was mean, speculation about whether Brian would follow and whether Hinkie and Colangelo could coexist, and Hinkie didn't want his knees capped. Mm-hmm. which is what happened. And so he walked. And I don't entirely blame him for that. I think, as I said, it is better to the NBA if you are quietly irrelevant and mediocre than noisy and bad. And the Sixers were noisy and bad, as I've said many times mm-hmm. on this show, because Sam Hinkie was willing to call out the way you build a team in the NBA for what it is. And... Yeah. Then came the coup, and as you well, wrote, Dave, the okay. Anshan regime threw him out the door. Here's, here's the
2: exception I'll take with what you said, and I agree with virtually every part of it. You can be noisy and bad if you are trying to be good. That is why the New York right. Knicks were such a laughing stock for as long as they were a laughing stock. It's not just that they were awful. It's that they tried so damn hard to be good and to be relevant. And if you're the rest of the NBA, that's the best kind of franchise to have because you know they're going to get it wrong. Right. The scary thing about what Hinky did was that other teams looked around and said, hey, we may need to do this at some point. And he might be right. And the league looked at it and said, we can't have this. We can't have teams being purposefully bad for the sake of being good later because the product suffers, which gets to something I, I wanted to, to discuss, which is we know how the NBA, we think we know how the NBA is looking at it. How do, generally speaking, the people in this city look at it? In this, in this sense, do sports fans in Philadelphia specifically want to be entertained every single night or do they want their teams to make sometimes tough choices, you know, in, in the, the, Sean Connery's line from The Untouchables, to do, you know, are you prepared to do what is necessary to build a winning team? And it seemed to me that this was split fifty-fifty among Sixers fans. <laughs> I'm Some
0: just pe- laughing at the shot cutter, the touchables. I didn't even know he's in the. Touchables. And I think there. I think ask that, her for the? And I think that split. The Mike's. Se- we gotta have like a, a drop. Like, a, can we get that sponsor? If we get anything sponsored on this podcast, can we, can we get the Mike Sealski archaic '80s reference <laughs> of? The- <laughs> of the I I want been, to get Capone like here's how slacks, you get them. your I, Slacks hoagie Shack whack <laughs> quote of the day <laughs> yeah. by Mike Zielski it's only I,
2: whack if you have no sense of pop culture at all
0: I think pop that co- split, no pop culture in the 80s
2: The Untouchables is a famous movie you don't have to be born Citizen in 40s Citizen Kane
0: is a famous oh. movie I'm not dropping rosebud references uh, well, I
1: think the split in addition to being 50-50 was somewhat age based
2: Oh, absolutely. I've, and I've, that, I've, it was generated.
0: We, we spent That's, at least about an we, entire podcast that on that. That comes
1: to something that I think we were going to get to in the course well, of this podcast. Let's, let's not get which let's not shift it off the is Rod Heckstall convincing Ed Snyder to be a little patient with the flyers. All
0: right. All right well, before we get to that, because this is, I would like to know what the split is, because this is what has frustrated me about the Hinky thing in general, is that I don't know that the media coverage of it has accurately reflected the fan bases feelings like I I know that there is a vocal segment of the fan base that that is opposed that was opposed to the whole notion of the mm-hmm. process and, and Sam Hinkie, but you know I I mean I saw an online poll and again this is very rep, you know skewed bias like like sample bias you know where like 75 percent right. of people thought that Sam Hinkie should they, they have more faith in Sam Hinkie than Brian Colangelo mm-hmm. and even if it's not that drastic of a split I would I would you know I would venture to say it's at least 50-50 split on generational lines and it, if that's the case i don't know that that was re- reflected in the coverage of it
1: i can tell you why that is in a heartbeat which is that the media in this town is not of the same
0: demographics as okay. the fan base, and that makes sense
2: yeah that, that that's a lot of it too i also think but I, yeah yeah i was going to say that um part of the reason it's generational is that whatever generation you're from informs your memories of the sixers if you grew up in the 60s And, you know, if you know the Sixers from the late 60s, and particularly the late 70s and early 80s, then you remember the 67 Sixers, you remember Dr. J and Moses Malone and Mo Cheeks and Andrew Toney, and you remember greatness, and you want that back again. If you're younger, if you're like my generation and younger, you remember the mid-90s, early to mid-90s when they were god-awful. And you've also grown up accustomed to sports teams having to exist in a salary cap world. It's not... The the situation doesn't exist anymore where the Sixers can just go out and pay $6 million and get Julius Irving like they did in 1976. That world doesn't exist anymore, and I think... From a generational standpoint, older people who, ironically enough, are supposed to be the more logical, experienced, reasonable people—have
0: uh, you been paying attention to the presidential I know, election? I know. Um, it's like I love people who complain about millennials because it's like, <laughs> dude, are you watching? Are you watching the presidential election? And are you no, taking note of what generation these people are from? Yeah. Like, are, like this is not, you know. And have you read your parents on Facebook and their uncle, your uncles and aunts, and what they write? <laughs> you know, like this is this is not this is not millennial. But the, generation. the, the
2: point is that. That background, those two backgrounds, I think, inform people's thinking. So you get, you know, the 60 year old radio talk show host ranting about the Sixers tanking and how it besmirches the game. And you get the 25 to 35 year old blogger saying what they're doing is smart and logical and everybody just has to be patient because it's the way it's done nowadays. Yeah. You know,
0: I guess my thing, and I guess my sense was always like if, if what if what Sam Hinkie if, if if people are not behind the process then the market will let them know and and I don't know that the market did that because I'm not sure that like I, I you know I went to Sixers games when they were that that last year that they went to the playoffs and it wasn't a whole lot different than the the attendance the attendance and the energy that was in the building you know the, the these two these past right. 3 years people and that's forget- that's what I my whole thing is like Dude, if you want Sam Hickey not if you want to live in a market where you can't do this, then make it a market where you can't do this. Like, right. they couldn't probably do this in LA long t- I mean, LA's been trying until this year, and New York is, you know, I, who knows what New York is doing. But the, the fact of the matter is, as as Brian Cashman said when you asked him uh, about you know, spring training about, about what the Phillies are doing, yeah. he said, I, I wouldn't be allowed to do this. You right. know, it, not necessarily because of the market, more because of his owners. But right. the fact of the matter is, the attendance that the Sixers were losing on a nightly basis between from going from mediocre to being God awful could be made up within, with one good season yep. at the gate. The, the thing with the Sixers and pretty much every team in this town, that's not the Eagles. And I guess the flyers to a certain extent, but in the hockey, everyone's always mediocre. Like you can't even like try to be bad in hockey. Right. Um, is a, this, this, te- and it shows from Villanova too. And, and temple, you know, that temple doesn't sell at the league course center. I mean, it, this team this town will only has enough energy to spend on the eagles on a daily basis and whatever energy they have in reserve they reserve for somebody who's going to make it worth their while to devote that energy. And even then right? they That's might not look
2: at, look at their, look at the Sixers attendance figures over the last, I believe three to four years of Allen Iverson's I did tenure. I actually did this it in went, the column. Earlier it this. went down. Yeah. It went down every single year. People got tired of Allen Iverson too, which is funny now because within the last week from, from Monday night in Houston, the night of the national championship game, when Iverson got introduced as a hall of famer um, and the entire Philadelphia media contingent, except Bob Ford and me went, to talk to him instead of going to talk to the chairman of ba- then chairman of basketball operations Jerry Colangelo, who was on the other side of the room, you know, and then Allen of course comes back and and talks again before uh, a home game just the other day, you know, we we're kind of putting this shiny gleam on Allen Iverson's career with the Sixers, and yeah, it had its unbelievably great moments, but that gets back to the question that. We dis- we began with, which is, do you want to be entertained or do you want to win? Because at the end of Allen Iverson's tenure, people weren't apparently weren't being entertained, like, and they certainly weren't winning.
0: I, c- I consider myself the like the the median NBA fan in this market. Where if the Sixers were really good, you know, I would be I I, I could see myself being down there mm-hmm. every night. A lot, yeah. But it also doesn't take a lot for me to pay attention to something else, right? And I, and in the Iverson era is, I think, case in point. I was at LaSalle, and I remember being on <laughs> – We, Meredith Morakovitz and I. Mm-hmm. Meredith Marakovitz is now the – Yankees side, reporter yeah, for she's, she's, the she's, Yes Network. She's the Greg Murphy uh, – she's the better-looking Greg Murphy of uh, the Yes Network. She's the Yankees sideline uh, reporter, and she's a fellow Sal grad, as me and Mike Sioski are. Um, we hosted a show together called LaSalle – we, we, we hosted a show together called Sports Talk Philadelphia, and at one point, it, it, it was really bad, and, and you might even be able to still catch it on on your cable networks across across uh, the Lehigh Valley in standard definition, or, or across the Delaware Valley in standard definition. Anyway, I said on the show one day, that we were talking about Allen Iverson. I was just like a snot-nosed 20-year-old, mouthing off, like I still do pretty much. But I said the Sixers will never win a championship with Allen Iverson, because you can't construct a team around Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson's great on a nightly basis. He's great to watch, he sells tickets. I enjoy watching him play. They got as far He's as, a as Hall they were of famer. Ever going to. But I said as and my I remember my mentality as a basketball fan back then, I lost after that 2001 finals, you know, I I my, my interest started to wane in the Sixers because I felt like they had peaked, you know, and I felt like they were they had tried Larry Hughes, they had tried Jerry Stackhouse, they had tried everybody. Um, and and they just could not build a team around Allen Iverson and anybody who watched him play knew exactly why. And, and he, they just weren't going to be able to compete with, with the Lakers, you know, of that time period. And, and I think that, I think that is kind of the median mentality of, of this market where the Sixers, you know, we'll get, we'll get behind you. We'll get behind a fancy, fancy new thing for a while. But, but at some point, you know, we need to know that our emotional investment is going somewhere.
1: That, and that's that takes me back to right before Sam Hinkie came in, when they were, as everybody has so famously said again and again and again, one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals, which was meant to be a proxy to say, yes, this team can win a championship. It just makes you know, some little tiny move in the offseason. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They should have, that year, been blown out of the building by the Chicago Bulls, and the only reason why they weren't, as I've said on the show before, is because Derrick Rose blew his knees out. Mm-hmm. If that, if Rose had been healthy and the Sixers had gotten blown out of the building, I wonder what people would have thought of Sam Hinkie then, because they never would then have been that close. And there never would have been that false hope. And I do think it was false hope. And when you go down to the Wells Fargo Center now, admittedly, I haven't done this, but I've read what you've wrote and I've read what a lot of other people have written. You go down there now, there's no false hope among the fans who are in mm-hmm. that building now.
0: Yeah, and, and, but my thing is, I think that they're the same kind of fans who would have been there even if they were mediocre. I think that that. But there was got, false hope, right, uh, Previously, uh, yeah. I mean, to a certain to to the extent that people bothered to to invest anything anything emotionally in the Sixers, I think the I think I think the NBA in this town, you know, since Iverson left, has been mostly you know kind of a walk up type gate. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you're gonna have, you might have some diehard season ticket holders, but for the most part, it's like, it's the Sixers games I've gone to as a spectator. You know, someone says, "Hey, you know, so and so at work, you gonna give me a couple tickets? Do you want to go?" You know, or, "Hey, it's a Friday night, let's take the kids down to a Sixers game and watch whoever. They'll cheer for anybody." You know, I, I just don't know that you've seen the the, the attendance drop to suggest that there were there were there was this large plurality of people who actually really cared about the Sixers on a nightly basis. And I think what they were, I think think you're absolutely right. And I think what, what Hinkie succeeded in doing is he got people like myself interested in basketball again because it was no longer, let's just try to get as many people through the door every night and then like qualify or not qualify in the last day for the playoffs and win a series or lose a series. It was, Hey, let's build something. Let's make people feel like we're building towards something. And Worst comes to worse. Once we get there, everybody will be on board because everybody loves a winner. But but in in in, in the meantime, they kind of attracted this new, they kind of re-energized this new subset of of NBA fans in the city who who actually enjoyed watching the process take place. Yeah. You know, even, they even underst- if they didn't go to the games or yeah. watch the games every night, they weren't doing that anyway.
1: Because they they the they understood. We've talked about this on the show before. They understood that. They understood and understand how it is that you actually build a team in the NBA, which is that you do have to suck for three or four years yeah, you and, and and that and the system is broken. Yeah. And we're going to watch, you know, the Cavaliers and the Warriors and the Spurs and the Thunder. I got no idea who the other teams are going to be in the playoffs because none of them have a chance of winning the thing.
0: I will say, I will say this. There were some legitimate criticisms. There are some le- yes. legitimate criticisms. He, of- he
1: went too far. sometimes.
0: I, yeah. I won't even. Say, I, I won't even say where I fall on them because I'm not sure. I I think that. What do you think they are? I think that. Well, first and foremost, I think that Sam. Hink- I would not have realized this before the fact, but you do. It, it can benefit you to at least build something of a veteran team around the guys that you're trying to develop. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like, I, the, I like, think, like the whole Smith thing, you know. Like, and the Julia, like,
1: the Okafor speeding thing. I I, see, think, I see think, that's.
0: that's but, we are, We already talked about that. Let's let's just keep it the think, on. Think, let's keep right. it the on court. The, the, sure. the valid part sure. of that. Yes. The valid part of that criticism is that how how is a big guy going to develop if he does not have a guard to get him the yes. basketball? Correct. And and I I see now. Sam Hinkie's defense of that. What Sam Hinkie would say is, why am I going to waste a roster spot? On a veteran who I know is not going to be part of this next playoff team when I could like keep a TJ McConnell around, and who knows? You know, there's there's only probably a 5% chance that he ever develops into a, a you know rotational player on a playoff team, but there's at least a 5% chance. There's a 0% chance that 30-year-old Ish Smith or 28-year-old Ish Smith is going to be that guy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that would be Hank, and that makes sense to me. And frankly, it's 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 very similar to some of the decisions that the Phillies have made where it would make there is an argument that they should go. They should have gone out and spent some money on some veteran relievers to yep. lock down some of these victories. The opening day game yeah. that I was live chatting. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know there there is a val- there is a valid argument that says why not go out and bring in you know a couple of you know seventh and eighth inning guys to go with David Hernandez so that you know Aaron Nolik, you know so that these guys can like win a little bit and you know they're they, they're not constantly sapped of, of right. momentum at the end of the game. It's a valid argument, I guess. But for whatever reason, the town has accepted the the city, the city, which is the puzzling thing to me, why why and why to me it's all about messaging. Uh you know, the yeah. town is is not even thinking twice about what Matt clintech is doing. Whereas Sam Hinkie, it was like bloody murder from from day one. But but the fact is you can't for every veteran reliever you sign to participate on your major league roster, it's one less prospect That you can protect from the from the you know rule five draft i mean maybe roman quinn doesn't get protected i don't know if roman quinn was even protected this year but actually i don't think he was protected this year i wouldn't i would not know that if if (laughs) but but so so there was this big uproar among phillies fans when when roman quinn was left unprotected and oh no, no no roman quinn was protected it was um what's his name carlos tachi from lakewood so there so there were some people avid followers of the minor league system who were puzzled that the Phillies would keep, you know, ex player instead of um, Carlos Tachi, who, who's one of their, you know, he's a very raw Freddie Galvis type center field prospect, but he had a good year last year and he's considered a prospect and, and they left him unprotected. So any team could have drafted him in the rule five draft. You know, the Phillies took a chance that they would not, that, that a team would not knowing that he would not be able to stick at the major league level. But the fact of the matter is, the has got a guy, you know, a dual Herrera. Texas let, left him unprotected, you know. In hindsight, perhaps Texas would have rather kept one less veteran or lever for their major league team, which didn't end up making the playoffs, and then kept a dual Herrera in the system. That's kind of the same thing with the Sixers, where if you bring Ish Smith, you know, maybe you don't keep TJ McConnell. And some people, people, most people will say, oh, well, TJ McConnell's not going to be... Good anyway. Bring Ish Smith in and let your big guy develop. And I think that's kind of maybe even Sam Hinkie would sit back and reevaluate that because that's not something I would have thought of either. Like I would not have thought of that. Uh, you know, I would have been on the side of keep, keep you know go for that five percent chance that whoever uses that roster spot is a young guy who can develop into something rather than you know Ish Smith. But w- when you sit back and look at the cost benefit analysis you know, maybe it, it probably would have benefited them more to have Ish Smith, you know, on the roster this whole time to help Noel and Ogafort develop. I think at least in the basketball context, I know where the noise
1: about that came from. Um, we've all used the mythical phrase, the Philadelphia basketball community, over the years. And they are, I know a fair number of people in it. There are a lot of old white guys in it mm-hmm. who... Um, are the ones who read the Inquirer, the ones who read the Daily News, the ones who call into <laughs> WIP, and so on and so forth. And part, of, part, I'll, I'll give you another anecdote about that. I was at it's. But Tuesday, what does that have to do with anything? I'll tell you. Tuesday, it's Tuesday. On Monday night, I was at the Big Five banquet of the Palestra. Right. A lot of old white guys with ties to the colleges, the CYO scene, etc. Every single one of them was blasting Hickey mm. and saying, "Good riddance, glad he's gone." Um, I think that specter of whatever you want to call it. Doesn't quite exist with the baseball fan base in the same way.
0: Um, uh, uh, you would have heard from him more than I would, but so you tell me. I, I I think they're the same. I think they have. See, this is where I think it's kind of the chicken the chicken and the egg media thing. Where I I think the same exact portion exists. I, I think that same exact segment. In fact, that's you just described baseball demographics almost perfectly. I I just think that. Uh, but they're not the ones watching the minors, are they? No, but I'm saying what I'm saying is that um, those those the media gave a platform to those disgruntled big five guys, whereas they haven't given that platform. We've kind of just ignored them as Internet commenters, you know, when, with regard to the baseball team. I mean, if, you, if you read the comments on, on the Phillies articles those, and those are mostly the, of, the, of the, the demographic them. that that <laughs> you just described. Yeah. You know there are there are a lot of people who are saying this t- a team owned by billionaire John Middleton should never be whatever these guys are doing. I don't know. It's it you know it's it's an interest. I think it's I think it's more than anything a media thing. Like I think that I think that the only reason that Sam Hinkie really is gone now is because the Sixers Josh Harris was tired of dealing with it. Like I think he just wanted to be a guy who could let his. Franchise operate itself and accrue accrue value. You know, he essentially needed to bring a grown up in to. You know, no,
1: well, I think he was forced. But other than that, but he
0: was forced. What I'm saying is that it does not essentially it does not matter what that segment of fans thinks. All that matters right. is what the media ends up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the media yeah, is the reality. I, I think. I, and well, the, and the reality here is that the media has decided that what Klentaike is doing is a smart thing, and what Hinky was doing was a dumb thing.
1: Well, I don't know whether there's a polite way to say this or not. Um,
0: well, that's always dangerous. But a lot of the voices... It's a good thing we have editing.
1: Yeah. A lot of the voices who are the most prominent about the Phillies are younger.
0: Mm, I don't know about Not that. Not all of
1: them, but a decent number of them.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much of a generational thing it's it is. No, it's no slight on anybody. What were you going so to say about Hextall and Snyder?
1: That, and I will say it's no slight on anybody because the guys who cover the Sixers do a great job. It's just something that I've noticed. About Hextall and Snyder. Ed Snyder... And Mike, who had to step away for a minute to talk to some of his sources about culture change, uh, is now back in the studio just in time for us to talk about <laughs> about Ron Hextall and, and and Ed Snyder. It's perfect timing.
0: That <sighs> this yeah, we could probably just skip that. That, that entire interlude was very.
1: Uh, no, I thought I thought it was useful. Ron, okay. Ron Hextall ultimately did convince Ed Snyder that. A little bit of patience would pay off, mm-hmm. and you know Ed has been celebrated over the last couple days as the greatest owner in Philadelphia sports history. Even I, not being from here,
2: the ghost of Connie Mack stands up yeah. and objects.
1: Well, even I, not being from here, having grown up, and I will. It's
2: not about you. Come on.
1: Grown up as a, a fan <laughs> of a team that, that, as a fan of a team that got you know Is kicked around by, by Ed Snyder Kevin and his Burank. fans. Time and time again over or the years. Alex Ovechkin. Um, everybody who follows hockey understands Ed Snyder and his passion to win and how much he meant for the Flyers and, in turn, what that meant for the National Hockey League. And Ed wanted to win now and made moves again and again and again that were about winning now, and for a long time they didn't work until it got to the point where, Mike, you rather put it in his face bluntly,
0: very oh. famously.
1: And and, and and I think ultimately— Ron Hextall was the one who convinced Ed Snyder after all those years. It certainly seems that way,
2: and and to bring this full circle, the, the objection I had to the way the Flyers approached things, and particularly the way Ed articulated their approach, was that every owner and every franchise want to win. It is not an indic- you know a a an uh, an outstanding quality in an owner to want to have a successful franchise they all do okay Th- that's not the issue the issue is are you going about it in an intelligent fashion and the flyers for a long time did not do that for all the desire that Ed Snyder had to win and for all the the willingness he had to spend whatever amount of money it took or hire whatever coach he thought it took and try, 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 try. There's only so many times you can bang your head into the bank vault safe door before you realize, hey, this is not the best way to to get the millions of dollars that's behind it. You have to try to crack the safe. And so do I give him credit for that, for wanting to win? Yeah, that's great. But they needed to be smarter in the later years about how they did it. That's and and that brings us back to the Sixers and Josh Harris. Like the the reason that people got behind Sam Hankey and the plan was because it actually had a chance in the system of the NBA to produce a championship in the way that nothing the Sixers had done since basically two thousand three had a chance to
0: work. Yeah. So here's the thing about sports and, and every sport except for the NFL, I would say. Yeah. Where it, it, it's kind that's of that's the beauty of the NFL. I mean, these guys are these guys are carnival parkers. The, their their job is to sell you hope, to to get you inside the tent, and that is how this. I mean, Bill Giles is the classic example mm-hmm. of it. I mean, Bill Giles like this. It was it was a sales job. It was you know it was it was a triple a mentality. You know con, you know. I mean, look at, look at promotions. You know, this was, you were, you were, you, all you needed to do was sell. You didn't have to build something good. You just had to build something that would enable you to sell it and get people into it, get, get X, whatever your bottom line was, the X, you know, X tickets. Right. That's what you need. That's why Greg Jeffries ends up here. Right. That's why Benito Santiago ends up here. That's why, what's his name? And Danny Tartable. Yes. Quasi ended up, <laughs> ended up, <laughs> it's why Danny Tartable ended up getting paid here uh you know and, and and people are smarter now you know like we're that the whole information revolution has has enabled sports fans to be smarter and to see how processes actually work and to see how winning it, it's enabled it's greatly enhanced the study of what what generates success and what makes success people didn't care about that back in the day necessarily because they 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 just cared about getting people these, these are all Use co- I mean look at the backgrounds of these guys. Yeah. Ed Snyder started selling records out the back of his car. David David Montgomery started selling tickets. You know, yeah. all these guys are from like a. I mean, the NFL was founded by like a bunch of like traveling car salesmen. Right. You know, like the, they have that sales mentality, which is why the Calandula, it's why the Colangelo's are kind of like the hype the the modern version of that. You know, they they you know whereas Hinky, you know, and the thing is my generation. Uh, you know, I think mine and Mike's and John's generation more so are resistant to sales. Which is why because we're so numb to it and we know when we're being sold a bill of goods and i think that what really energized and we we talked about this while you were away mike iverson in a sense was something of a bill of goods because there was a a guy like myself enjoyed watching him play but i'm not i'm not gonna just watch him play for 82 i didn't like him enough to watch him 82 games a night right you know if i wanted to know that he was going to lead them somewhere and and he was a bill of goods in my mind because i never saw a way where they were going to be able to build a team around him. Exactly. so I, I lost interest in the sixers mm-hmm. you know
2: yeah that's and that's a totally fair way of looking at it and and again that gets back to what do you want like i but I it's feel- like but
0: i think now people know like the internet and 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 you know going back to society society of american baseball research you know all these you know analytic whatever you want to say you know the the, the sloan conference there's just been this like huge think tank mentality to to come to sports and mm-hmm. to the point where people, you know, can look at models now and say this is what a championship team looks like, this is what sustainable success looks like, this right. is what this guy's valued blah 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 blah. No longer are people like I just need to convince my kid that like Danny Tartable might hit 30 home runs this year and you know, we can mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. Yeah.
2: At at the upper level that's true. Now now as somebody who you know, has a four or five year old son who right. just wants to watch the games. Like, I can see the the old time quote unquote appeal of, you know, a certain kind of guy but and a
0: certain kind of team. But that's why. But that's why. Uh, that's why I'm saying like the attendance has. There's there's always going to be that baseline of fans who will go to the game no matter what, just to like right. take your four or five year old to a right. game. What you're seeing with the process is there's not much variability in that within that subset of people. With regards to whether they care about the product on the court or not, that's you right. Know what I'm saying like there's clearly they're going to go because they're going to go. They're going to go because fun. they're going to go, and there's just that baseline of people that are always going to go to that. What what Sam Hinky, you know, what, what the kind of the irony of the process is, it was it was in the process of developing this new set of fans who had like been been numbed into seeing the Sixers as just this carnival act that like they're never going to go anywhere because there's always going to look at all these teams that are better constructed and right. yada 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 they started growing, getting people like myself back into them because you were like, okay, you know, my investment might be worth, it might end up being worth something. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Cause I'm not the baseline guy who just wants to go to the game to see like someone in a Sixers Jersey shoot a basketball, you know, right. with other NBA players. I want to see like something great. Yeah.
1: I want to ask you this cause it's, it's something you just brought up a moment ago that, that piqued my interest. Do you think David Montgomery's changed in that regard over the years? And I, I know him better personally than I do professionally because he shows up at the Palestra all the time, sits next to Ed Rendell at the basketball games and, and as those, we know
0: it is all about you
1: Those those are the conversations that Not I've had with him but you <laughs> do you do you think that David Montgomery has changed in terms of what how he sees baseball in the Phillies because I kind of do
0: Yeah he's he's changed because he sees it from a marginalized spot in the front office like he what he sees doesn't matter anymore he was he was forced out you know like he's yeah
2: when he was in there he saw I the value of keeping ryan howard and right. chase utley and jimmy rollins he did not see the value of saying hey we've extracted everything of value we have got we're ever going to get out of these guys we need to move on from them before they cripple us and prevent us from doing some of the other things we and minute
0: like and that's why it's, what's so fascinating about this kind of this kind of transitionary period that, that we're in in Philadelphia sports w- with regards to all, f- all four sports teams, you know, the Phillies all of a sudden are like the progressive, you know, they're yeah. the progressive organization. And it's interesting cause it, it took, it, and it, this is not a slight to Montgomery or really anybody. And none of this is a, is a slight to, to, to any of the, the people that, that I'm talking about. It's just kind of how they were raised and conditioned Like yeah. again, David Montgomery was raised and the Phillies do a tremendous job of Mark not not marketing, but catering towards fans. Like the, their their game day experience is somebody who's gone to just about every ballpark in you know Major League Baseball. It's second. It's second and none. Second and none. I mean, yeah. like them. And, like I think I can the, only the Giants really to me come mm-hmm. close to what they what they do in terms of putting on a show every night right. for fans. And and they're 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 so active in the community. And they're they're David Montgomery is the kind of guy who you, you know if you put him in a room with you know Charlie Manuel and a fan like he would treat the like he he views the fan as as just as important to the mm-hmm. organization as Charlie Manuel and that's a great you know that's that's a very valuable uh human intelligence asset to use the buzzword of of the, the <laughs> period uh of the epic nice job mr Lurie. uh <laughs> Just wait till I drop collaborative on you. There was a collaborative <laughs> drop at the pre- Sixers press conference. There must be like a management book going around or like a, a uh, ranks audio right with, book. With yeah. narrative and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, culture optics. and process. And, but, optics. Um, and that's something, frankly, that the Sixers would be what would have been wise to to, to put into their portfolio, to put it in their terms with Sam Hinkie, because Sam Hinkie's not that guy. A guy like Sam Hinkie can't be that guy really because right. all his energy is invested in, you know, the mar, you know, the moving the margins, you know, and, right, and you, what you needed to do, and what frankly now the Phillies have with, you know, David Montgomery on the kind of the the ambassador side, and and kind of man, Klementuck and and Andy McPhail on the baseball, baseball operations side. side, is you have that yin and yang, yes. where where you see with the it's actually a fascinating contrast. Thank, thanks for bringing that up, Jonathan. It, it's a fascinating uh, contrast in in you know opposites where, you know, this the the Sixers had too little of, of David Montgomery, and the Phillies had too much of David well, Montgomery. Well, that brings the name Scott well, O'Neill. Well,
2: I, I was just going to say, that that gets into what I thought was one of the more interesting parts of the hinky manifesto was his shot at Scott O'Neill, the, the team president, you know, and, and complimenting him for his ability to extract money from season ticket holders and customers' wallets. I go back to last year um, when the Sixers on Twitter and on their website put out a vine of Joel Embiid dribbling the ball, dribbling a basketball through his legs and then throwing down a reverse dunk. And social media went wild with it. And I could see Hinky sitting in his office and blood spurting out of his nose as soon as he saw that. Because he would look at that, And because while Scott O'Neill and the marketing people would say, we've got to generate interest in this team and this guy who's supposed to be our savior, I could totally see Hinky looking at that and going, "Jesus, we don't know if he's going to play next year yet. How can you do this? You're setting up expectations right. that may not come to fruition." And as it turned out, they didn't. So he you, hurt his foot again.
0: So you took that as a shot at O'Neill?
2: I absolutely did.
0: Okay, well, absolutely we'll go into that because I I don't know, I do not know Scott O'Neill at all. I don't know the dynamic there. I don't. I was cover, I was covering the Phillies when the process began. And so Im- I, imagine what if, was he? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. What was what was O'Neill supposed to be? What was his Sam Hinky's relationship like? And why was that a shot at O'Neill? Because I wasn't sure how to interpret that. I, I, I almost I because my first reaction, just as somebody reading it, was like, "Oh, I wasn't sure what their relationship was like. I guess it was good since he was going to bat for." Them. No, I wouldn't. I would say the opposite. I See? would say
2: the opposite. I think. I think they were diametrically opposed in terms of what their aims were. I think Hinky was all about the process and would have been willing to say. Let's just let this play out. Like, let's not make it something it's not. Let's not um, try to build this up into something it's not until it's ready to be that thing. It's going to take time. Which I told the
1: marketing it, people went off on a year early by saying we're winning now or whatever it was. Right.
2: And and O'Neill was more of a guy of like...
1: Did they put it on a banner on an aircraft carrier? <laughs> well, it was a Twitter video and a couple of other yeah. things
2: like that. O'Neill is a sell, sell, sell. We got to get people in the building. We got to get people interested in the team. Um, and those two, so it was New Orleans Noel, it was Michael Carter Williams. It was a vine of Joel Embiid. And, and I think from that standpoint, Hinky probably looked at it and said, you know, I don't need this guys. Like you're, you're setting up people's expectations before they ought to be set up.
0: Well, he's probably also like, uh, why is that guy jumping? And yeah. <laughs> on his foot. It,
1: it leads me to wonder, Mike.
0: I'm trying to, I'm, I'm it, leafing through on my, my, uh, Adobe Acrobat for iPhone. If they Tryna, had been trying to been. find this letter here, if like, they had I, I been on know. the same I'm page, read Mike. It. I'm gonna I gotta read it again.
1: While you're while you're looking for it, let me ask Mike this: mm-hmm. We can only imagine if they had been on the same page. Mm-hmm. If O'Neill had been willing to come out and publicly defend Hinkie a little more, how much, how many dividends that would have paid? I don't know because Hinkie
2: ostensibly was a defender of what the Sixers were doing. I mean, they were both. Totally committed to the organization in their own ways, but totally committed to it in completely opposite ways as well. You know, Scott is supposed to be out there saying everything. He's he's Kevin Bacon at the end of Animal House. All is well, all is well. You're slacks. You whack, whack Come on. The game. I, you know, I'm not, it's not I, like. I get,
0: I, I, I've watched Animal House. I, I, I didn't know Kevin Bacon was in the Animal House. Oh, my God. Um. I know the big guy wearing a college shirt. He's
2: the one supposed to be out there going, all is well, all is well, don't worry, we're great, we're great, we're great. Hinky was the one saying, look, this might not work, but it's what we think is best and we're going to take a shot at it and please be patient. And I've told you to be patient, so be patient. And their aims are different. You know, I mean, O'Neal wants to bring in money, wants to bring in people in the building, wants people talking about the Sixers at all times. I mean, he, you know, he couldn't understand why they weren't getting more praise for what they were doing.
0: Guys, is there an appendix for this thing? <laughs> what page is this on?
2: <laughs> um, so, I, I think in those regards, I think they're just their aims. They were purists in their respective uh, professions.
1: Yeah, and that's the, not creative tension. I to mean, with the Sixers, one, no,
0: no, it's what not. the Sixers needed more than anything was one of these NBA figureheads that, for whatever yes. reason, matter in the game. Yes. I, I, mean, I mean, look, the Knicks are a disaster of an organization. And. You know, that, that's why this whole notion that, like the, one of the biggest pieces, my, my problem with many of the arguments against Sam Hinky is not a fundamental disagreement over the propriety or, or wisdom of the process or not. It has been the, the arguments used to construct the argument against it. For instance, this whole notion that a general manager needs to have good relationships with other general managers. You know, that, that, that's absolutely bunk. You know, like and frankly, with. Within the league, I don't, I don't think it even really matters.
1: Yeah, there's only one way. Well, relax,
0: relax, relax. This is the more controversial thing. This, this is the more disputable thing. I'm going to say. It doesn't matter if how your relations mm-hmm. are with agents either. Like, like Ruben Jr. had or, or Ed Savansky and Billy King had great relationships with agents. They still ended up overpaying Elton Brand and Andre Iguodala. They still, you know, they pe- people are going, to, you know, and 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 what's his name? Brian Colangelo had a great relationship with Steve Nash and. Steve Nash ended up going for the better situation. In the end, players are going to go for the situation that's best for them, regardless of who's signing the check. And to, to think that an agent is going to leave money on the table because right. Sam Hakey Hakey didn't return, return his, his phone call. calls is just the most self-evidently invalid piece of evidence you can come up with for an argument of why this guy should have left. Like you, it's just, it's just, yeah. it's it's mind-bogglingly shallow thinking and it, and, it, and it's one of the things that bothered me about the Colangelo press conference and why it, it it made me a little leery of this guy who on paper does look like a very good candidate because yep. the whole notion of, made a I'm, lot here of to, leery. I'm here to I'm here to build relationships like dude Bill Belichick has no relationships you yeah. know like the, yeah. the Bill Belichick I mean we can go around the league and name people who have been successful and and this whole, I mean, this is like the clubhouse chemistry. I mean, this is yeah. like the clubhouse chemistry energy argument, right? Where it's like, guess what? Winning teams have good chemistry and good energy. Losing teams have bad chemistry and bad energy. I am
1: following this press conference with Brian Colangelo, and I, I tweeted, and I, I think you might have seen it. I was. Down in Chester at the time and falling. Just what did it. you tweet? <laughs> you know name, me, name me, name. I know. I, I, I want enjoy, one.
0: I, I do enjoy the the uh, life and Jonathan Tannenwald anecdotes that preface <laughs> it.
1: I get a lot of your anecdotes <laughs> on the oh, show too. But I was
0: three years old. My Th- I just was, I
1: want one agent to put his name on the record. And I know something. it'll never happen. That'll never
2: happen. And and but the, but Murph's point is hundred percent right. Yes, that like, that's
1: why I'm saying. You know, I want the agents to. Say it and stop hiding behind Okay, space. yeah.
2: Like, my guy, I wouldn't have any of my players... Like, like the the um, uh, Porzingis story that came out, okay? About how yeah. Andy Miller, Porzingis' agent... Who's also
0: Noel's agent.
2: Yes, exactly. Thank you. You anticipated <laughs> what I was going to say. Like, he, how bad could Sam Henke's relationship have been with Andy Miller if Andy Miller's dealing with him with you Noel know, Noel? Do you know
0: who Ruben Marr Jr.'s best relationship was with? And it was with this agent because it was his agent who represented him uh, uh, when he was a player. It was the Levinson brothers who represented Jonathan Papelbon, Raul Banez, and pretty much every other player that the Phillies ended up overpaying for on the F- Placido Polanco. Like, like, okay, he had a great relationship with those agents. Is that was that a good thing for the Phillies? Right. You know, like this, this, this is what this is. This is the thing. That, that 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 bothers me about a the the arguments against hinky bef- that, that precipitated his departure and b the the argument from the dais at the press conference as to what was what is what needs to be fixed about the sixers like don't get me wrong it's not a bad thing to have good relationships I, you know and and yeah. certainly, you know, Sam Hinkie would have liked to have it, but but I think Sam Hinkie's or I think Andy Miller would have wanted Przingis to go to New York, regardless no matter what. of yeah. And it's right. not because of Sam Hinkie; it's because it's New York. It's New York. <laughs> and guess what? They had more. They had. They one. own their own arena. They have a practice. You know, they they do have all these things that the Sixers don't. You right. know, and and I just don't know that. And and again, what does that interview even mean in the in the whole grand scheme of things? What
2: happened? Look, what happened here is I honestly think, and we we should probably get. wrapping this up i think josh harris probably realized he didn't like not being in the club anymore among his fellow owners he was the guy who was doing things a little bit differently he was the kid sitting in the back of the classroom that everybody kind of thought was a little weird and didn't get invited to the parties and couldn't hang out with everybody else and so what did he need to do to make that happen you bring in you're kind of talking like him
0: yeah, a little bit. Well, I see. I, I disagree. I, I mean, I don't. It's part we're of it. About, we're arguing about a guy's psychology, so I don't know. If I I want to. Th- I'll throw this in there too. whoa, a practical standpoint, I'm, here, I'm not, I'm not yeah, arguing about psychology. My, I'm think, talking about got, it. I'm talking I, about it from a practical standpoint. I think that that like, makes sense. That there's a valid argument as to why that could be true. And I think my Harris, first impre- my first sense was that Josh Harris just wanted his. He he invested in this team, and he just he he doesn't really necessarily care about it. Like he's. He's looking four years down the road. He doesn't want to be bothered by it in the interim. He doesn't want to continually have to keep coming down from New York to put out fires, and you know, like he's like, "Man, I did not anticipate having to like talk to Adam Silver and like try to like go to bat for you, Sam." You know, I think at, at, at the end of the day, he was just like, "You know what? This is going to be a lot easier on me if I just bring in a guy who's like, you know, subscribes to, to Hinky's long-term vision, but at the same time, you know, people respect, and I then I can just like." Go out in Soho every night and not have to worry about that. That's just what I got. And then the yeah. third, the third, the third potential is he wants to sell, and mm. and the goal at this point is just to to in, to get as much. Because don't get me wrong, uh, the value of the Sixers under Josh Harris since the start of the process has exploded, exploded. because yep. of this new TV deal, which is that's again right. the kind of the eye like that never and gets mentioned. That right. it never yeah, gets that mentioned. This up. entire thing, and, and 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 so so then you know bringing a guy, you know. To, to rehabilitate whatever short-term members you need to do so you can like maximize right. whatever you can sell it for and then you know like yeah that's that's but that's the other thing is like just all the illogical things they just like ah <laughs> I just want to like like you no one ever like Steve Jobs didn't have very good relationships with a lot of people no. like no business nope. owners ever, yeah. like guess what CEOs are jerks you know like and they never talk to the press and they never like like people who do business with them don't like them because they get taken advantage of and they have better products and like None of this matters in the real business world, and yet in this,
2: it, we're it, supposed to make it matter. Right? Like him, like Sam Hickey doing like a radio interview. All Sam Hickey, is supposed did. To make, all Sam
0: Hickey did was oversee a franchise that exploded in value under his watch. Uh, he accomplished every objective that he said he was going to set out to do, and in the at the end of the day, like this, this notion that, that that these teams are a public trust, I guess, is is what you know ended up winning. Yeah,
1: it leads me to wonder, and I have no in
0: closing proof of this, but I wonder
1: whether Josh Harris needs the help of some of these other NBA owners to further some of the other business and sports ownership deals that he's looking at.
0: Well, yeah, that would be part. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think probably the, the most viable explanation is just like to get rid re- like Hinkie's liability on, yep. on the mar- yep. perceived mar- on the marketplace value of your team, if you're trying to sell it. And it, and it's a lot easier to sell Brian Colangelo. Yep. Uh, Brian Colangelo is worth a lot more on the market than Sam Hankey Sam Hankey right. is a, an, a liability. Um, that, 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 but yeah, I mean, it could be that, you know there could be some psych- or some reputational type you know non tangible type benefits to trying to gain access to EPL or whatever he's trying to do. But I think the more logical thing is is that it's just the maximization of short term value.
1: I got one more question for Mike. I wasn't sure where we were going to be at the end of the show, but I got to ask you because I know you're going to be covering it. Flyers mm-hmm. win or lose, how many games?
2: Five. They lose.
1: Okay. Do um, they win game three? Probably yeah.
2: I mean, look, the Capitals are stinking choking dogs in the playoffs. Thank we you all, said, I was going to say you did we, it for we, me. Thank you. we we all know this, um, but I would be really surprised if they didn't beat the Flyers. They're a better team up and
0: down. Are you a Capitals fan? Born and raised, diehard. Well, I uh, miserable. You've mentioned, you've mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah. that You're born and raised. I was just wondering if you're a hockey fan. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, oh. Could, you could probably cut out this this. Uh, you could probably cut off that, like, middle part if you wanted. Yeah, it was l- good. If it's too long. It was good. No, okay. it was fine. Right. I think people uh, I was just like, I, I, when, like, in between, like, once you left, I lost my train of thought, and I just no. kind of, like, babbled
1: I'm- <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> I'm, I'm a cynic, and always, you know, the Capitals, the last time they won the President's Trophy with 120 points, went straight out in the first round. Yep. So I'm a raging cynic. I think that Game 3, I've rarely ever in my life wanted to go to a Flyers game, but, boy, would I love to be at Game 3.
2: I think if the Flyers steal one of those games in Washington – games one and off two off the charts. Things get real interesting. Yeah. Because the capital sphincters might get
0: real yeah. small. And you know you know that they're gonna bring they out- might, might defenestrate themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you you
1: know they're gonna bring out all the stops in game three. So oh, it's yes. gonna be wild. Yes it is. All right, that's it. We're done. Uh thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.